How much stronger do I have to be? You see, we want to talk with God and we want to have, it'd be nice to have a face-to-face conversation once in a while. Ask him the real questions about faith and life and about who we are and, and where we're going and what this is all about. How much stronger do I have to be? Everybody wants to have God answer their questions. I want God to answer mine, and you want him to answer yours. And so today, we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit does that. And I'll teach you about the the four questions that you want to ask God. In his best-selling book, Daniel Pink writes about the baby boomers. His book is Drive. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for quite a while. The surprising truth about what motivates us. He was a speaker in this summer's Global Leadership Summit. He says that as baby boomers have come into their 60s, in 2006, the first baby boomers boomers began turning 60, he said there are three definitive stages that he sees them going through. The first stage is, how did I get to be 60? And and that's what I hit in June. How did I get to be 60? And I got this picture in my mind of myself sitting at the dining room table long ago at my mom and dad's home and, and looking at my dad, and it was his 50th birthday, and I was just looking at him, you know, and I had... I had hair, I mean, it was long, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm thinking, the dude is old. You know, he's turning 50. Half a century has gone by. What's he going to do now? And then, you know, it flashes back to the present, and I'm 60. What am I doing? How did I get here? And that's the first stage. Then you go into the second stage, and it's kind of a relief, he says. You go... You know, six decades under my belt here. I've lived 60 years, and I know a few things. I understand how life works a little bit. I did 60 years. I could probably pull another 25 out of this, make it happen. I might be in the last quarter, but, uh, you know, I'm sort of like Brett Favre. No, I don't want to be like Brett Favre, uh, uh, the way he's been playing lately. But you get the the idea. You know, I'm in the last quarter. I can still kind of make things happen, so there's a little bit of a relief. And then Pink writes, but the relief quickly dissipates and a sudden thought clonks them on the side of the head. Wow, that sure happened fast, they say. Will the next 25 years race by like that? If so, when am I going to do something that matters? When am I going to live my best life? When am I going to make a difference in the world. He concludes this chapter by saying, in America, 100 boomers turn 60 every 13 minutes. Every 13 minutes, another 100 people. Members of the wealthiest and best educated generation the world has ever known. They begin reckoning with their mortality, asking deep questions about meaning, significance, and what they truly want. 100 people, 
every 13 minutes, every hour of every day until 2024. When the cold front of demographics meets the warm front of unrealized dreams, the result will be a thunderstorm of purpose, the likes of which the world has never seen. And so Pink says, everybody's asking these questions about the meaning of life. Where do you go to answer those questions? And he doesn't really tell you there in this section, where do you go? Who has those answers? Well, you know what I think about that. You know who I think has the answers. And I think you have a sneaky suspicion who has the answers. And I want to talk to you about that. But the reality is that this struggle for the answers is not relegated to those of us who are turning 60, to the baby boomers. The, the ramifications of these questions affect every generation, every age group, every demographic. Everybody sooner or later wakes up and goes, what am I gonna do with my life? Where do I go with my 25-year-old life? Where do I go with my 35-year-old life and my career that, that needs a mid-course correction? Where do I go at the half-century mark? Where do I go when I'm down the road and I'm 80 and I'm 85? What do I do with this one life that God has given me? It's not a set of questions that just one age group asks. It's what we all ask at some point or another. We want to talk with God. We want to ask him the questions. Katie Kirk, when asked a one-word question, gave a three-word answer. The question, God? Her answer, I hope so. I hope so. I'd like to take you way beyond, I hope so, today as we look at Paul's letter to a, a group of early Christians, people who didn't have it all together, people who didn't have it all figured out, people who were messy around the edges, and Paul is writing to them, trying to help them in this particular part of his letter understand something big, understand something magnificent about God. He's trying to help them understand the Holy Spirit. So let me teach you about the Holy Spirit and about the four questions you want to ask God. First Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says, look, this is really what it's all about. I, I don't have much to tell you about except that God showed up, that his name was Jesus Christ, and he lived out this incredible three-year ministry. He was crucified, died, buried, and then he came back, and that resurrection has rocked everybody. It's rocked my life, and that's all I have to go on now. And so I don't want to go here and tell you that I'm smart. I don't want to be one of these wise philosophers or people that debate this way and that way about what the meaning of life is. I just come hoping that through my 
humble life, God will show up to you and that you will understand also who this is and who Jesus is. And the only way you're going to understand that is by the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. That's a key word, among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Political systems come and go. Nations rise and nations fall. And you know that if you put your hope in a nation or in in a political system that sooner or later that too is going to fall apart. It's going to get weak and wobbly because there's something bigger than that. No, he says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been, that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. You must have a Holy Spirit connection for your life to make sense. You must let the spirit live in you. You must, you know, to use an analogy, you must plug into the Spirit. Let the Spirit live inside of you or your life just is not going to ultimately go anywhere. It's not going to have the impact that you're hoping for and dreaming for. The questions that you ask cannot be satisfied. The questions about the meaning of life and the purpose of life, the questions about your life cannot be answered apart from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Where do you go to get this information? Paul is the purveyor of the answer of God. This is the only place you can get this information. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Translation, the only person who knows what you're thinking right now is you. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. This is where Faith and life come together. When you really believe this, when you really believe that whispers shape the heart, that whispers can shape your life. I believe this. I've, I've seen it throughout 40 years of walking with him, that the whispers of the Holy Spirit have shaped my heart and shaped my life. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Tony Blair is a great man of faith. He's a great world leader and he's, he's a Christian and his life is, is grounded and built upon Jesus Christ and 
a relationship with him and the power of the Holy Spirit living within him. That's who Tony Blair is. But his father is an atheist. His father has always been an atheist. And it's hard to reach across that divide. You can have love across that, that gap. You can even have great relationship across that gap. But to understand who God is doesn't translate. And what God's trying to do through the Holy Spirit doesn't translate if somebody doesn't really want to know. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment, judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment because the person who is being driven by the Holy Spirit is always answering to God and to God's call upon his or her life. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who knows the mind of God? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work giving us the thoughts of Christ, leading us in the ways of Christ. And it's a miracle and a mystery and a wonder, but it's right there for you to open up to this morning. It's right there for you to reach out and partake in and of and with. There's an interesting section here in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. It's where the prophet Isaiah is quoted. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, Paul writes. In Isaiah 64 verses 4 and 5, read this way. Since ancient times, no one has heard nor ear perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you. In other words, Isaiah the prophet is saying, there's no one besides you. You created all this. We can't understand how we were created or how the universe was created, but we can look around and know that it came from you. No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. And so where Paul gets his understanding of God is not just from his personal experience. It wasn't just because he got knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus and had to go you know, 180 degrees in the opposite direction and start living a whole new life. He, he received a lot of his understanding of God from the scripture and from knowing what the prophets wrote about God, and from knowing what David said about God, and from knowing the story all the way back to Genesis and Exodus, and how God brought Israel out of Egypt. And he was imbued with this truth, and it drove his life, which is, is between the lines here, one of the secrets of letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. As you know God's word, as you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, you're allowing God to plant seeds in your life of growth and seeds in your life of hope and seeds in your life that grow into a deeper abiding relationship between you and God. And all these things happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. That's who the Spirit is. And so thousands of years ago, when they were trying to, to sort this out, when 
They were trying to understand who is God and who is Jesus Christ and who is the Holy Spirit. In the fourth century, they, they pulled together a document. And, and this document is, is used in churches all over the world to this very day. Lots of churches will recite this every single Sunday. And this document, the Nicene Creed, explains the intricacies of the Trinity. And it explains how God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, and yet how they have distinct callings and works that they do with us and through us. So would you do honor to this creedal statement by standing and reciting it with me here this morning? Listen for the roles of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as we read. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And so this, this Nicene Creed, this gathering together of the truth that they knew about God, that he was one and yet three, that he was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all at the same time, yet all working in different ways. This is the very bedrock theological foundation upon which we build our lives. And yet, in the middle of it, I say, let us not let theology define how we are building our lives, but let us allow relationship to build our lives. Because that, again, is what the prophet Isaiah was saying, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. It's always been about that relationship. Everybody wants to ask questions to God. God I hope so, but there are some definitive aspects of the Holy Spirit which will help us understand this relationship that we seek. Paul's Holy Spirit report in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has four components. The Holy Spirit is your power source, he says. It's the only place you're going to get the real power 
for living your life. When you feel like you're, you're running on fumes and you feel like you're just not sure you know, if you have the energy anymore, well, you're right. You don't have the energy anymore. Your energy and your drive and your motivation must come from God's spirit at work inside of you. It's time sometimes to slow down and ask God for that, for that energy and for that strength. The Holy Spirit leads you towards spiritual maturity. The Holy Spirit is the one that drives you towards a mature view of life and a mature view of understanding life. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. The Holy Spirit teaches eternal principles. What is it that you can securely build your life on? The Holy Spirit wants to show you those things and lay a foundation of those things in your life. And the Holy Spirit helps us see reality and clear focus and the ultimate results of our decisions or the long-range results of our decisions. There are four questions that emerge. There are four questions that I believe grab at our hearts as we, as we long to hear the, the whispers of the Spirit that will shape our hearts. The first question is, how much do I have to grow? How much do I have to grow? Which is sort of Joan's plaintive cry in Joan of Arcadia. How much stronger do I have to be? There was a story in the paper the other day about a guy who was lost in the desert out in California for six days. 64-year-old man lost in the desert for six days days. He said the only way he survived was he tried to kind of find little places of shade and he would just sort of try to hide in the shade as much as possible. When they finally found him, helicopters were out there searching and flying over. When they finally sighted him, he wasn't even strong enough to sit up and wave at the helicopter. So they rescue him and this is what it says at the end of this article. His face was tan and leathery and his eyes were tired but alert as he recounted the days without food or water beyond the raindrops he caught in his mouth during a drizzle that came the day before he was rescued he says I'm much more religious now I prayed for rain and it rained there's something sad about that there's something very poignant about that moment I'm much more religious now. I prayed for rain, and it rained. God doesn't want you to wait until you're lost for six days in a desert to learn about who he really is. He doesn't want you to be almost dead before you reach out to him and realize that he has always been there for you. This is not a bad place for this guy to start, but at 64, he's got a long way to go to get to where he's mature, to where he understands how God works. And I think, I think often about maturity because maturity is one of those things that can be very elusive. One moment you think you can have your, your hands on it and the next minute it slips away from you. And it's, it's not something that, that you get just because you turn 60. You can get it at 25 or 30. You can have it eluding you your whole life at 80. So what is Christian maturity? And I, I sometimes write these things down, these statements about Christian maturity. And a number of years ago, I wrote a whole bunch down and I add to it uh, here and there. And if you'd like to have the entire list of Christian maturity items that I've written down, you can pick it up today at the Connection Center. But let me just read you a few of these. Maturity. 
you are a mature Christian when you realize that if you are going to grow, then it is your responsibility to take what you are given, experience, resources, challenges, relationships, the word of God, and work with it in the details of everyday life. You're mature when you realize if you're going to grow, it's your responsibility to grow. It's, we can only provide you opportunities. You have to grab those opportunities and say, okay, I'm in for growth. I'm in to get better at knowing who God is and who I am. You are a mature Christian when you realize that something good really can come out of something bad because you've experienced it in your life. Understanding Romans 8.28 takes an experience, not just memorizing a verse. You are a mature Christian when you don't hold to tradition when God says, let go. Lots of people hold on to traditions and their families and lots of churches hold on to traditions and they just don't work anymore. God says, let go. Let's do something different. Let's, let's try this. Let's go here. You are a mature Christian when you value your commitments and commit to your values. You are a mature Christian when you can listen. This is, this is like arguably my favorite one. It's very convoluted and, and kind of goes in circles, but see if you can stay with me here. You are a mature Christian when you can listen to what someone is talking about. Know that they are wrong and sense that right then is not the time that they need to know they are wrong. <laughs> Rather, they may need to know that you care enough to listen to their wrongness. When you know that listening and caring build relationships to the point where people may listen to your wisdom later, you are wise. This applies to parenting. Sometimes this applies in an office where you work. Sometimes this applies in a marriage. Sometimes it applies right here in a, in a ministry here. Um, I've seen this so many times in my life. You are a mature Christian. When strategic stewardship of your time, personal expertise, and resources becomes the natural flow of everyday living. You just live every day going, everything I have, everything I am, God is really the owner of, and I'm just taking care of it, so I'm just going to go with it and do with it what God asks me to do with it. It's just the way you live every single day. You are a mature Christian when you know that while life may not be fair, God is good. His timing is always right. He guides with loving hands, and you have learned to trust him no matter what the circumstances appear to be. You're a mature Christian when you realize the future is what you and God create together. It's always like that, my friends. We're doing something with him. He's doing something with us. And finally, you're a mature Christian when the only thing you're afraid of is giving God a mediocre life. You want the, the list of 35, you can catch it out there. But I think about that. It's so important for us to become mature. So how much do I have to grow? You have to grow enough to be mature. Second question. Who will help me with this struggle? Who will help me with this, with this pain? Who will help me with this struggle? Who will help me with this pain? The other night I was watching... Yankee game and for some 
reason that I couldn't understand. Gail was sitting there, and we were watching it together, and I wasn't sure why that was even happening. And the dogs are sitting there, and we're watching the Yankee game. And so the Yankee pitcher picks the guy off of first base. And I looked at Gail, and I said, that was huge. That was just huge. He picked him off first base. The guy, he tried to lean. I, had, I said, watch, the, you'll see it on the videotape replay. Guy leans, he throws, he picks him off. Carrie Wood picks him off. It was huge. She goes, I really could care less. <laughs> the pain. <laughs> the agony of it all. Who will help me with this struggle? Who will help me with this pain? Um, in scripture, you see a lot of pain. You see a lot of struggle. You see a lot of broken hearts. In Psalm 51, David's heart is broken. David's heart is broken because he did something very wrong and he caused a man to die and he took the man's wife. They had a baby and the baby died and, and he's just struggling. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Who will help me with this struggle? Who will help me with this pain? The answer is God will always help you with the struggle. He will always help you with the pain. But the thing that, that we have to understand is that there, there's always a balance between brokenness and blessing. All of our lives are broken in some way. They are shattered in some way. It could be something that, that happened that you didn't want to happen. It could be something that happened that came out of nowhere. It could be something that happened relationally, something that happened economically, something that happened uh, because you made a wrong choice or you did something that was wrong. Uh, it could be any number of things and, and suddenly your life is reeling and your life is being pulled down and you feel torn apart and you feel like you can't even get up and go on and there's this brokenness and your heart is broken. But there's always the balance of blessing. If you look at your life and you look around, you'll see a little spark there of a blessing that God gave you maybe in a grandchild. A little blessing that God gave you in, in a new opportunity for a business or for employment. A new turn in your career. A new, a new friend who just understands you uh, like Friends who turned away from you and weren't your, really your friends never understood you. You start to look around and you realize that life is balanced by brokenness and blessing. And in that balance, the grace of God is always revealed to you. You will have brokenness and you will have a broken heart. And God will always help you with that. And one of the ways he will help you is he will say, but this brokenness is also balanced by this blessing. And you might not have this blessing if it were not for this brokenness. And so that, again, that's part of being mature. It's part of understanding how God is at work in a broken world, helping us 
to, to create lives that have meaning and purpose and hope. And then sometimes you find that in your brokenness, you are able to help someone else who comes along in their brokenness in a way that you would, would never have been able to help them unless you had been broken. How much do I have to grow? I have to grow enough to be mature. Who will help me with this struggle, with this pain? Well, God will be there with it and in it and through it, you can still look around and there will be blessings. Which way do I go now? Which way do I go now? That's answered in John chapter 14, my friends. John 14. All this I have spoken while still with you, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, in other translations it says helper, comforter. But the counselor, helper, comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Jesus based those words upon the fact that the Holy Spirit would come and be available to us and would live inside of us as we invite Jesus to come into our lives to be our Lord and our Savior. God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, all one, three different expressions of God. It's a mystery, but it's a personal relationship that we get to have. The interesting part of this passage here is that um, the word counselor is translated from the Greek word paraclete, paraclete. And um, we don't use that word. When's the you know, last time you used that word? was when you were playing baseball. And he said, give me that pair of cleats over there. Uh, I need them for the game. You know, it's like, you don't use that, that word anymore, paraclete. But if you look at it, it's a fascinating word. It means to be with, to urge on. It means intercessor, advocate, consoler, one who consoles, one who brings consolation, comforter, one who wraps himself, herself around you and brings comfort when you need comfort the most. Literally, it means to call near. Come over here. Come over here. Come here. That's what it means. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Who is with you always and urges you on? In your life, who, is that, who does that sound like? Sounds like a mom that just loves you unconditionally. Sounds like a dad who, who puts his arm around you and gives you good advice. Sounds like a grandma, a grandpa, who just is happy just to see you. Sounds like a great coach. Sounds like a bunch of good friends. It sounds like a, a spouse that you're walking through life with. It sounds like a, a counselor who a therapist or a therapist who's really there for you, bringing you wisdom and insight in some ways that you weren't able to get to yourself. It sounds like a, a pastor who wants you to be everything that you can be in Christ. The Holy Spirit is that one who is urging you on to be you and to be everything that you can be. 
And it's a relationship, it's a reality that you have as a man or woman who is in Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one, yet each coming into your life from a different perspective, each wanting you to know love and grace and the purpose and the meaning of your life. All these things point to the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. That when we talk about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit is another manifestation of who God is to us. That's what they were trying to say in the fourth century when they were putting together a concept of God, the way they saw God in the scripture. There must be this greater God. And then there's the son who came down and he, he talked to us and he showed us the way to live and what was important. Then he left the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is the Lord in our lives too. How much do I have to grow? Enough to be mature. Who will help me in this struggle pain? Well, God will always balance out the brokenness and the blessing. Which way do I go now? You go the way that the Holy Spirit leads you to go. Every time I've had a which way do I go now question in my life, I have prayed and I've gotten the answer every time. And the last question is this, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And that's the question that Pink was writing about. People want to know the answer to that. Sooner or later, you really want to know, what am I supposed to do? And the cool thing is this, you only have to answer another question. If you can answer this other question, you can know what you're supposed to do with your life. Here's the question. What are you doing that's going to last forever? It's a serious question. It's a bottom line kind of question. It's a question that you should wrestle with all the time. What am I doing that's going to last forever? Not what am I doing that's going to get me to retirement? That's a good question, but that's not the best question. What am I doing about you know, next year and the way I see the economy turning? That's a good question, but that's not the best question either. But when you answer this question, what am I doing that's going to last forever? It puts your life squarely in the hands, in the arms, in the mind of God. It allows the Holy Spirit to be at work in you or through you. You begin to understand that the body of Christ is something real and vibrant that the world needs so much. You begin to realize that the church is the hope of the world and you really want to be a part of that and creating that and you want to be a partner with God in creating the future. What am I doing that's going to last forever? That's the question. And the world asks the questions all day long. But they don't think about the answers to that one. Because they don't think about life in terms of eternity. And that's what makes the work of the Holy Spirit in your life strategic. The Holy Spirit helps you to think about eternity. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to whisper some words to you this week. I believe there's a word for you right now that the Holy Spirit is trying to to say to you, the Holy Spirit is trying to shape your heart by one of these words, rescue, rescue. Go out into the world as someone who rescues those who are hurting, who are marginalized, who are poor, who are broken, who are going to stay that way unless you go, unless you, unless you do this. Risk. Get outside of 
of your little protective bubble of your life. Risk something big for something good. Run. Run away from that thing you know you shouldn't do. And you're leaning into it. You're starting to get too close. Run away from that. It'll bring your life down. Reinvest. Reinvest everything that I've given you in what I want to do. I've trusted you. I've given you all that you have. You're a steward of so many things and so many resources. Reinvest that in what I'm doing. Reach out. Rectify. Make something right that is wrong. Do that relationally. Do that corporately. Respond. Respond to my whisper. And so we were in the auditorium and and Cal Ripken just finished giving his talk, and, and it was a great talk. It was based upon a new book that had yet to come out, but that came out later. And in that book, he told the secrets of how he had been uh, a baseball player that was able to play more consecutive games than anyone had ever played. Broke Lou Gehrig's record. Nobody thought it could be done. And he was an athlete with integrity and a, a great role model. He told that story. And I knew at the end he might, he might say, are there any questions? And I told Travis, I said, Travis, if you raise your hand right away and you walk down to the stage, he might answer your question first. And so he just was getting out of his mouth that he was going to have some questions. And Travis made the move and he raised his hand and Cal Ripken recognized my son. And there it was, Cal Ripken and my son Travis, eye to eye, toe to toe. It was a moment a father just longs for and looks forward to and gets excited about. And so Cal Ripken looks at him and he says, yes, what's your question, son? And Travis said, well, I'm teaching in, in a high school and I have some, some students that I'm going to go back to teach next week. And I'd just like to know what you think are the most important things to teach them. And Ripken looked right at Travis and he said, you haven't been listening, have you? <laughs> just told you all about the things. And then he said, no, no, I'll, I'll give you a chance here. I'll tell you about something. He said, just tell your kids not to take shortcuts. There are no shortcuts in life. But here's, here's the moral of the story. So often... I think God's trying to show us and teach us and he's trying to, to make the Holy Spirit such a reality in our lives. And then we just kind of float around and we, we want to know where to go and we want to know what to do. We want to know what we're supposed to give back to him. And he's like, you're not listening, are you? I'm whispering. I'm whispering to you all the time. I believe the Holy Spirit is whispering to you maybe even now. But I know if you'll listen this week, you'll hear something like this. Rescue, risk, run away from that. Reinvest, reach out, rectify, respond. I want so much more for you than a three-word answer to a one-word question. God, I hope so. I want you to know the, the very heart and mind of God, and that is available to you always through the Holy Spirit, because the whispers of the Spirit will shape your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this letter. Thank you for Paul's heart, for the way you shaped it, for the way he was able to speak with clarity and authority about who you are and who the Spirit is and, and how this all works together. So guide us as we want to really grow as men and women who are on this great spiritual journey in the 21st century. 
Guide us to know you. Allow us this week to hear you whisper to our hearts. Lord, we give our lives again to you today. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. King of heaven, thy victory.